You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Mission Ridge. We will get started here. I want to kind of highlight a couple things before we get started. One, I thought it was really cool that uh, Shanoa invited her dad last week. And um, that was very cool. I mean, and what I heard is that Shanoa felt like God's Spirit was leading her to have that conversation. So the fact that she had the conversation, that's, that's cool. Because I know that sometimes God's Spirit has led me to do something and I wasn't always ready to go where God was leading. So good on you, kid. Um, second thing is I mentioned in our prayer time that we are a relational discipleship church. We see that Jesus made disciples in relationship, and then he asked his disciples to continue that on. And we, when we spent time in the book of Acts earlier this year, we saw that that's where the disciples ended up. They didn't always start there. The apostle Paul didn't always, didn't start with discipleship in mind. He was more of a street evangelist when he started, and and he probably continued some of that because that was part of his design. But towards the third missionary journey, he started developing long-term relationships that resulted in discipleship. And, and that's what has really fueled the church for 2,000 years. And it's what we want to be about. So um, we're excited that you're here with us today. And to go further with you, we invite you to join us each week in one of our care groups. Now, our care groups, that's a way for us to engage in God's Word together. And the conversation that starts on Sunday, we continue that conversation in the middle of the week. Uh, The curriculum is in the bulletin each week, so you know what kinds of things we're talking about. And it's a safe place to ask questions and to wrestle with what is God's Word saying? What does this mean for my life? How do we live this out? And that's where really discipleship really starts. It I mean, this is a springboard. Sunday morning is a springboard. But if you really want to be discipled, if you really want to figure out what God has for your life, and you want to be involved in discipling others, then getting involved in our small groups is the next step. Well, we are finishing up our Philippians series, and this has been a six-week series. So this is week number six. You could catch up on the other five weeks online if you want to uh, hear what the rest of the series was about. There's information in your bulletin on how to do that. My last few years of the Air Force, I got to go around the country and do what's called Inspector General Inspections. And these are inspections that are intended to tell our government, tell our people that the things that we say we are doing, we are actually doing. And so I, would, I had an opportunity to go around the country and perform these inspections. And um, who likes checklists? Raise your hand if you like checklists. Man, that's a lot of us. I, I love checklists. And they kind of speak to my soul. And if you're my son or my daughter or my wife or my coworker, you know that's true. I love me a checklist. 
Because a checklist tells you what to do and when to do it, if it's, if it's worth having at all. It tells you what to do and when to do it. And the inspections I did for the Air Force, they gave the inspectors the checklist, but they also gave the people being inspected, the inspectees, they gave them the same checklist. It was like an open book test. Like what could be better than that? Well, these checklists came from all these, the Air Force and the Department of Defense has all these different publications. They have instructions and policy documents and instruction letters and guides, and they have all these documents. And the question is, well, what are you gonna inspect me on? Well, here's a checklist and takes all these disparate documents and puts them into one simple checklist document. And the people that did well in these inspections, of course, what did they do? They actually looked at the checklist, right? The people that didn't know there was a checklist, that was always a bad sign. You mean there's a checklist? <laughs> that was always a bad start to an inspection. There's a checklist? Um, yes, there's a checklist and you're about ready to fail. So I enjoyed, that's, that was my introduction to checklists growing up. Uh, you know, as a young man. Well, I recently performed a funeral service for one of our own, uh, Carla. Actually, it's Anitra's grandmother. And you may not have met Carla because as, for as long as I've known her, she's been basically homebound. And she did pass away this last May. But she was part of our church. And in preparation, as I sat down with the family, they asked me, would you like to look in, would you like to see her Bible? And I said, yes. Like I was excited to look into her Bible. And her Bible, it was a Schofield Bible. I think it was from 1967. And she may have owned it that whole time. There were plenty of notes and highlights. And uh, I came to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, I don't know if you could read this. It says mental health formula on the side there. Mental health formula. I could tell in my conversations with Carla that she had spent time in this book. In fact, when I was kind of looking back at the, at the last five weeks and then, and then today's sermon, I realized that a lot of what I see in Philippians, I saw in Carla. Like maybe she had spent some time looking at this. Well, chapter four of Philippians, it's about application. It's kind of like a checklist. It takes the other chapters and says, hey, we talked about all these different things. We talked about the humility of Christ. We talked about joy. We talked about all these different things. And how do you actually live that out? Like, what could that look like this week? And chapter four, I think, gives us some insights. Like, what does it look like to be humble like Jesus? To be full of joy? To be an example to follow? 
to build godly community, to experience Christ's resurrection today, what would that look like? Well, we're going to see, I think, in Philippians 4 provides concrete steps, concrete steps for living out the gospel. So let's get going. Philippians 4.2, I entreat, and I'm going to butcher these names, Udia, and I treat Syntec to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So the first practical step that Paul provides us, if, if you can be humble like Christ, resolve conflict because of Christ. If you're going to be humble like Christ, resolve conflict if for no other reason because we share this common bond through Jesus. And whether you are in conflict with someone or you're watching someone else, watching two brothers and sisters in Christ in conflict, you actually have a role to play. If you are in conflict with someone, it's your you should look for a way to find common ground. And if there's no common ground, at least there's Jesus. That's your common ground. But as a church, we need to come alongside each other because sometimes we get stuck. We're human beings, right? Okay. We got one human being out there. <laughs> we're human beings. We get stuck sometimes. I need other people. Thea's going to come tell me that she's a human being. <laughs> I get stuck sometimes. I need your help. You get stuck sometimes. You need my help. Like, that's what community does. So, being humble like Christ means resolving conflict because of Christ. And Paul continues, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many times does Paul say this? From prison. Rejoice. Rejoice. And I think about the hard circumstances I find myself in sometimes. And, and I, I, I can focus on how big my circumstances are. Like they could feel so consuming. But my circumstances aren't like Paul's. Like, no one's tried to kill me yet. Except for a few drivers on reserve, but that's beside the point. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's a second practical, practical step. Deal with anxiety. I see Paul here describe two paths to travel when faced with challenges. There's, there's two separate paths and you can't be on the same, you can't be on both paths at the same time. Two separate paths. Anxiety it's is a negative emotional conversation in response to real or potential problems. Anxiety 
is a negative emotional conversation. Now, sometimes that's a conversation just right here, just with yourself. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Have you ever had that negative conversation with yourself over and over and over and over again? It's consuming. So it's either with yourself or with someone else. Have you ever just focus on something negative and had a conversation between you and someone else and you walked away and you felt worse after the conversation. Thanks for the raise of the hand. See you on the left. Um, It's a negative emotional conversation. But prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving leads to something completely different. It leads to the peace of God. It's a positive emotional conversation with God in response to real or potential problems. Like I've had more anxiety over potential problems than I have about real problems, you know, because potential problems can show up in a thousand different ways. A real problem shows up in one way and you know if you could solve it or you can't. But when there's a thousand potential problems, Like, what is the solution? Who knows? So when we're dealing with anxiety, there is an option. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. And if you're having a conversation with someone that's a negative conversation, like it's okay for us to be real and talk about what's really going on in our hearts but what if we together prayed about it? What if we together invited God into the situation? How many times have you gone to someone with something that you were anxious about and suddenly they go, well, can I pray for you? And you're like, yeah, would you? I don't remember one time where someone offered to pray for me where afterwards I was like, well, that sucked. I don't remember once going, that was a waste of time. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, like it's just a conversation with God, but changes things. Paul continues, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says two things here. Think this way and look to the example that I've set for you. Think about these things and look to the example that has been provided. When we actively adjust our thinking to positive things, we benefit. The rabbis will tell you that if you see good in the world, you have a good eye. But likewise, if you dwell on the bad of the world, you have a bad eye. This might bring light conversation that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount. 
This is the glass half full versus half empty point of view, but it may also reflect who you think is really winning in the spiritual realm. Is it God or is it Satan? Because there's some people that I talk to, yes, it is God. There's some people that I talk to that the enemy's doing this, and the enemy's doing that, and the enemy's doing this other thing, and the enemy, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. And I'm like, yeah, I know he's out there, but I also know who's bigger and better and actually in control. About 15 years ago, I realized that every time someone asked me how things were going, I had some crisis going on in my life. Now, my life wasn't honestly that bad. I just found my value in solving problems. And so if you came and said, hey, Rob, how's your week? Well, if I found my value in solving problems, then I had to tell you about the problems in order for me to have value. And I realized I was just a negative person. (laughs) Nothing special about that. Um... And so I made a conscious decision to focus on the good. And I went from being a negative person to being a, a hopeful person. Now, I still recognize that there's hard things going on in my world. I mean, my daughter, you know, how many surgeries? Three dozen surgeries in a couple years. Many of them on her spine. Like, I know there's been some hard things going on. And people ask me, like, Rob, how's your week? I'm like, hey, it's a good week. And then we start talking about the week, and they say, well, I thought you said it was a good week. If that's a good week, what's a bad week look like? (laughs) I just keep a short account of the bad things because I know how good my God is. It's just a focus difference. Do we ignore evil? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Church, we have to confront evil. If the church doesn't confront evil, who's going to? But we also confront it and believe that God is still active and that God can do something about it and that God can use us and that miracles are possible and that something positive can come out of this. Paul continues. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says this, I could do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul tells us to find contentment in what God has provided. And sometimes the only thing that God has provided in that situation is actually himself. Knowing that I get to experience God in my everyday circumstances gives me peace. I am willing to face the hard things of life as long as I get to see my God in the midst of it. I am willing 
I'm actually eager to face those things. When we have enough, I celebrate God for his provision. When we are in need, I bring my concerns to God. Either way, I get to experience God in the midst of it. When things are going my way, I rejoice. When everything I touch seems to fall apart. After service, ask me about my wiring fiasco at home this weekend. Man, I got to live really close to the hardware store. I'll tell you, we need to move our house because it is not nearly close enough. Um, when everything I touch seems to fall apart, it is an opportunity for me to seek the face of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then finally, Paul says this, yeah, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you know who your, who your friends are when there is trouble because they actually show up. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. He didn't just receive the support that they provided, but he received the encouragement. The people were standing with him, even if they were far away. I've got 60 people on my prayer letter that I send out each week. I knew when we started down this path a year ago that we would face some challenges. Now, I didn't know we'd face some of the challenges that we faced, but I knew we'd potentially face some challenges. And so I got 60 people, 60 families, and some of their care groups to pray with us on a weekly basis. And some of those folks are supporting Mission Ridge financially because they believe in what we're doing here. And their prayers, their support emboldens me to keep going. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is a phrase out of Leviticus. Whether you're making the sacrifice at the altar or you're sacrificing financially in order to see a ministry to continue to move forward, God sees that the same way, Paul says. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, in response to your generosity, my God is generous to you. And I've seen that personally. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's another practical step that Paul says we could take. Partner in the gospel. Whether that be with your time, your talent, or your treasures, because all three are valuable. They're valuable to you 
and they're valuable to God when you use them for him. Now, I have tithed for 25 years, and I, and I do so for two reasons. And the first is the most important. I want to experience God in my everyday life. I want to experience God in my everyday life. And when he says, Rob, go, I, I go. Now, I haven't always been willing to go when he said to go. Uh, sometimes I've delayed. One time I delayed 20 years. Uh, that was the going to go back into ministry. But over and over and over again, I've experienced God because I chose to say yes to tithing. And my yes was to him, by the way. Secondly, I believe in the mission of the church. This is Jesus' church. We are accountable to him. And through our, through our elder board, our partnership team that acts as our elder board for, for an interim season until we have our own elder board, but we are all accountable. And I believe that the church is what is going to change Missoula if we come together and we serve together. Now, has it always been easy giving 10%? Absolutely not. In fact, when I started, it didn't make financial sense. Like my bills were this much, my income was this much. I'm like, okay, God, you're saying to go. I'm going to go, you know, because I just went from here to here. And God showed up over and over and over again. He provided in, in a myriad of ways over the years. There's been times where God has sent someone to me um, with a check that was down to the penny to a bill that we had. And I just got done praying about that bill. We've been on the other side of that though too. Like there's been times where we've helped a family out and later I hear, hey, you know what's really crazy? The money you provided was down to the penny of what we needed. I'm like, I believe it. I've seen it. God shows up over and over again. And I've learned that God has funny math. He really does. But beyond my tithe, I've supported many organizations and people that I trust and see God's hand in over the years. So there's a missionary family of some friends of ours uh, serving in Africa that um, we have supported and we took a season off of supporting them, but we're gonna support them again. That support is above and beyond our tithe. But we've always had, an, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the organization. They changed names. Um, some of the organizations that, that minister to children um, around the world, um, I support them. I just don't remember their name. Um, Mission Ridge has 72 partners in the gospel. We have 72 people, 72 families that have helped us in the last two years. Some of them live here in Missoula. About three quarters of them live here in Missoula, but the rest live around the country. And my prayer for those of you who choose to support Mission Ridge and, and for them who choose to support Mission Ridge is this, 
that my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, at the start of the sermon, I mentioned Carla's checklist. I mentioned Carla's Bible. I met Carla because I had been asked if I could take her communion. And each time that either Paul or I took her communion, she just, she gushed with gratitude. Her love for God and her appreciation for him and her appreciation for us to take the time to help her to connect with him through communion, it humbled me. It was so cool to watch. And Car- Carla never said to me the words, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, like, like Paul did in chapter one. But that was the wrestle that I saw in Carla. Like Carla wanted to hang on and minister to her children, but especially her grandchildren. In fact, three days before she passed, she says, God has more work for me to do. I think I'm going to stick around. But I also knew that she wanted to be with the Lord. And honestly, it was very painful for her to to be here physically. She dealt with a lot of pain. In Carla, I saw the humility of Christ. I saw unexplainable joy. I saw an example to follow and someone who was a partner in the gospel to the very end. And I could tell that Carla had been changed by God through her time in the scriptures. It was very evident, which is why I wanted to look into her Bible and see the conversations that she had been having with the Lord over the last 40, 50 years. What a joy. The implication is this. Philippians 4 provides concrete steps for living the gospel. So how do we apply that? Number one, actively apply God's word to your everyday living. I take time and I try to do this every day. If I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't feel shame. I used to, but it's a conversation with the Lord. It's him speaking into my life. Prayer is primarily me speaking in, speaking to him and, and his word is primarily him speaking to me, although we have a great conversation as I wrestle through this on a daily basis and try to figure out how to live it out. Number two, inspect the fruit of your life daily. James compares this, the scriptures, to a mirror. Like when we walk up to a mirror, we should notice things about ourselves. When I, when I look at the scriptures and compare them to my actions the day before, I should notice something. I should be able to see how I compare. Like there's this compare and contrast thing. And then I just have a conversation with God about that. Number three, build accountability into your discipleship relationships. Build accountability. Now I was talking about the 
Air Force inspections and we had the people that looked at the checklist and we had the people that couldn't spell checklist. But there was actually a third group of people that really excelled. And they were the ones that would invite their friends to come there, you know, like our sister unit would come and inspect us off the same checklist long before the inspection took place. It was painful. It was vulnerable to have someone else look and go, how are you doing your job, Rob? But you know what? I got better because I let someone else take a look into my world. That's what accountability does. Now, there's some people on the street corner willing to yell at you through a blowhorn and tell you what you're doing wrong, even though they've never met you before. That's not right. But when you invite your friend from care group or from Bible study or, or that you just have a re- discipleship relationship with, when you invite them to help you be accountable to the things that you want to be different in your life based off of what you see in here, when you invite accountability, that is super powerful and so beneficial. I've been asked if I'm pursuing that in my own life, and I am. As I take on more responsibilities, I used to have it with people in Moscow. It's it's something that has to be actively pursued. Dave and I went fishing yesterday, and he never asked me, hey, Rob, how's your thought life this week? I didn't give him permission to do so. But if I did, that'd be powerful. Because accountability is part of discipleship. Number five, if I can count correctly, um, repent of any missteps. Guys, we make mistakes. We don't get it right. We fall short. Is this number four? Okay. I will repent of my misstep of counting as number five. Uh, it's that simple. Like just, just go, you know what? I was wrong. And, and turn the other way, and, you know, turn towards God. God, I was heading the wrong direction. I'm going to turn back towards you and go, go the right direction. And number five. Um, ask Christ to meet you with his resurrection power in the places you're stuck. I get stuck all the time. As a follower of Christ, I wish that wasn't true. As a pastor, I'd love to be able to say, man, I got this all figured out. There was one that had it all figured out. But what I do know is that Christ wants to meet you right there. And that might be why he gave us communion. As this weekly reminder that we are in need of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. As we remember why he was willing to go to the cross because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would never perish. 
That is good news. That's how much he loves you. So in a moment, we're going to take communion together. I want to say this first, that this is an open table, which means if you are here to celebrate Jesus as Lord, you are invited to join in with us. In a couple seconds here, I'm going to ask you to come up and grab the elements and then go back to your seat and, take, uh, and hold them, and we will take them together. As you do that, think about the kind of conversation you need to have with the Lord this morning. Do you need his resurrection power? Or do you need to celebrate? Do you need to thank him for what he's provided? What does his death, burial, and resurrection mean to you this morning? As you think about that, please come and grab the elements. Some sermons come easier than others. This one didn't come very easy. In fact, 10, 1030 last night, I wasn't settled. And um, so I set my alarm for five o'clock. I was going to get up. I was going to go to the office and work on it some more, just in preparation. And as I got out of bed, I just felt God saying, you need your normal interaction with me. I needed that time. Because before I'm ever a pastor, I'm a person. The fears, the frustrations, the disappointments, they can start clouding my vision. We come together to push all those things aside and just dwell on how magnificent Jesus is. God with us. God choosing to wash feet. God choosing to partake, have dinner with sinners. The least of these. To invite children in when he's trying to have a conversation about holy things. Because who should be a part of that conversation with children? The night that he was betrayed, he took bread and we broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. Jesus, it still surprises me what a great God you are. What a compassionate and loving God you are. Oh, that I could be like you. Lord, thank you for seeing us for our potential. Thank you for seeing us for our worth, not our problems, not our mistakes. Thank you for inviting us into a better conversation about who you are as God Lord, we want to make disciples that make disciples to help people know just how gracious and loving you are that they too are invited in. I pray that you give us the power to do exactly that. 
We love you. And we have one more song to celebrate you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.